up, Poison Pals? Welcome back to another exciting episode with your hosts, Megan Gesner and Harini Bot. And today we are so excited because we have a special guest with us uh, that we've invited onto the pod, and we're going to get real froggy with him. <laughs> Poison Pals, I'd like to introduce you to Dylan Jones local San Diegan, so Ooh. automatic bias <laughs> towards yeah, wanting him with us, talking with us today. Dylan, actually, I think we discovered you through social media initially. Instagram username Dylan the Biologist yes. has a wonderful feed of information about biology, about environmental biology, and lots of things to do about amphibious creatures, and mm -hmm. which I think is uh, Dylan's passion, amongst other things. But we had started following him, and we just loved his content. And uh, I think over the last year, you started taking up like reels or TikTok videos and things like that. It was just wonderful to watch because it was funny and informational. <laughs> and we did an episode a while back on cambo which is the type of well it's a practice the practice involves like scraping toxins off of frogs and so when we did that episode we're like we should get in touch with dylan at some point to see what his thoughts are on just um, you know toxic amphibians or frogs or you know whatever so dylan jones is with us today currently doing your doctorate at oh masters masters, masters. Okay, okay. Masters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. okay okay so masters in this is where my research started to like decline. <laughs> well, we can um, just have him in intro that. Yeah, if we'd you like. want to tell us what yeah. you're doing your master's in? Yeah, yeah. So I'm in the uh, Master's of Evolutionary Biology program at San Diego State University. Uh, basically, my, my project is this like big data thing where we're trying to find these, or I guess infer is the right word, infer regions of shared evolutionary history for all of the wonderful reptiles and amphibians throughout, uh, like, basically Mexico down to Panama. So it's this, like, massive, big data, fun project, but it just, it involves me looking up frog pictures a lot, and it makes me really happy every time I get to, so. That's amazing. <laughs> what love a that, life. And yeah. I must say that you are quite prolific on Instagram, which is such an inspiration for us. We're, like, channeling out like our little like TikTok videos and reels every now and then but my god like I feel like every time I log on to like our our podcast Instagram there's another reel or another video and they're always so informative so really appreciate yeah. that you you are coming up on almost 22,000 followers on Instagram yes. and I'm pretty sure when we first started following you following you that wasn't the number. And yeah. I think you've just evolved so mm -hmm. rapidly on social media. And like, even at looking at your grid now, like, you know, snap snaps to you, like yeah. it looks great. Like yeah. you've got oh, the good. green text yeah. on everything. Um, so it is, That's it true. is truly inspiring um, because it's inspiring in a sense that you're doing your masters, which yeah. is a whole buttload of work on its own. So to be also, you know, being passionate about building really great content on social media is, is a, very amazing. I also noticed that you have a website that has like multiple links um, that you promote. And I saw something called Learn Adventurously. And I was wondering if you could tell me more about that project or that organization. Because um, I think that's something that's really worth um, talking about. Yeah, so Learn Adventurously is something I'm still kind of putting together. It's in like very much so infancy stages. Mm. Basically, what I'm trying to do with it is create a, how do I put it? I guess community is like the closest thing to really mm -hmm. put in there. 
But it's, it's a community of scientists and people who are interested in science. And what we're really trying to do there is bring science into kind of this more modern age um, where we can have these really easy collaborations between people from all over the world, but also the fact that you can bring in communities, you can bring in individuals, you can bring in people who aren't really scientists, they're not like in the middle of a PhD program, mm-hmm. they're not established in the field, but actually participate in science. Um, or just learn more about the natural world in some way. So we've held things like iNaturalist competitions. Um, right now I'm you know, promoting up a, basically a trip that is down to one yeah. of my old field stations in Belize. So um, cool. That's actually like a long-term goal to more or less partner with research stations, conservation-focused yeah. nonprofits, and do like tourism surrounding that so it actually benefits mm-hmm. them. It's it's sort of this like yeah it's it's sort of a grab bag of different things that I'm still kind of chucking at the wall and seeing what works and what fits but yeah it's part of a larger image that I'm still cool. piecing together. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. absolutely. I saw that uh, one of the past projects under Learn Adventurously, which was the iNaturalist, um, you know, capture the biodiversity in your area project. There was like a screenshot that said eight thousand plus participants or something. That's Incredible. Wow. Definitely what not did... participants. Oh, gosh. Oh, no, no. no. <laughs> oh, gosh. I no. could not manage that many people. Um, no. But, but okay. we did get, like, well, we got over, we got over nine, I think it was, I think it hit over 9,000 observations. Wow. From, uh, okay. I think it was, like, 150 different people all over the world. So it was, like, uh, it was really I cool. See. I see. Yeah. That's, that's still really amazing. I was like, when I saw that number, I was like, it said observations. You're right. That was the word. And I was like, damn, like <laughs> people are observing so much in their um, their area or their city. I, I assume that meant people. But was there anything interesting as the lead on that project? What do you see on your end? Was there anything that was fascinated you that interested you um, with the responses or the observations? Yeah, it, it was sort of this weird I guess what really fascinated me and made me like the most fun with it was being able to gamify it. That was a mm-hmm. big deal with it. Um, I actually totally stole the idea from a, a professor of mine. When I when I took a herpetology <laughs> class in undergrad, oh, which so herpetology cool. is like the study of reptiles and amphibians, mm-hmm. um, our, our score was based on iNaturalist observations. Oh. Um, and the way they did it was every new observation of a new species, you'd get five points. If you had duplicate species, you'd get like one point instead, mm-hmm. up to I think five. Um, so I, I adopted that, but then added in things like, hey, for this week, if you uh, ID plants, you're going to mm-hmm. get bonus points. Um, for this week, if you ID so cool. uh, invasive species, you're going to get some bonus points. Awesome. So that was a really good initial test. But I was also kind of surprised by how much response I got from it, like how many people actually participated. Yeah. Um, I, 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 like, I was expecting like maybe a thousand observations total over the course of the month. And then mm-hmm. we hit that within like the first week. And then That's there were some cool. super users that just did hundreds of observations. Wow. I was like, oh my gosh, y'all are, y'all are insane. Wow. Like, I can't do that many. They're just outside That's very all the time. Cool. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, were you able to capture any sort of um, age demographic data in that competition? Because I feel like my mind goes, um, when you use points to incentivize doing something, I often think like that would be a good children's activity. And I don't mean that to knock the project. I just feel like it's a good way to get kids involved mm-hmm. in being interested That's in true. these things. So, But do you know who might have been your population that oh was yeah, participating. it was it was definitely very close to my actual follower base. So like mm-hmm. twenty five to thirty five with a slight okay. female skew. Or <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, yeah, but it was it was super. Yeah, it was definitely around that age. I think that's also just 
sort of who can really do the iNaturalist, mm. which iNaturalist is like a, an app that you can take pictures of any species right. that you find. Um, right. So definitely kids can use it, but yeah. um, I, I also didn't market it towards kids at all. So Right, right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Fair enough. So this all ties into your interest in science communication, communicating science in a way so that it's uh, accessible to folks who might not have the knowledge or know the jargon or what have you. Do you ever feel like there might be a challenge of oversimplifying certain material? Like, because I I was looking at your grid and I was just like, I, I love TikToks and Reels because you can get a lot of information in one thing, but sometimes, like, do you worry that it might oversimplify what you're trying to communicate? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's kind of a constant struggle I, I deal with. Um, also because, you know, if, if I divide my content into broad categories, I have these kind of longer form carousel posts that are just like mm-hmm. 10 pictures, like a slideshow, basically, and then mm-hmm. the reels. And, and both right. of them are very limiting in how right. much information you can mm-hmm. convey. So I have I have several topics that I have tried so hard to get them into that format, and I just can't. Um, yeah. Like I, I, I really like the sexual chromosome evolution of frogs. Like I think it's just yeah. super cool. Yeah. I, I cannot get that into a post. Like I have tried <laughs> honestly for like four months now to get into something I like, and it's just like every time I open it up a little bit, there's just another rabbit hole that I can dive into or that needs right. to be explained. Um, but I, I also try really, really hard not to just dumb it down to the point of losing what makes it cool. Yeah, um, right. because I, I think that's that's I, I'm I'm very used to the like these animals are so cool they they can you know uh, run at 75 miles an hour on a sprint and I'm like okay yeah. but it's very surface level and I'm like mm-hmm. but I, I think the real story is like well how did they evolve over time to get to that point what are the mm-hmm. like physical adaptations that made them and I just think that there's such a cool stories that aren't being told because yeah. they just take a little bit of extra time and that's where I'm trying to get that balance going and it's right. totally. it's tough it's so tough but absolutely no. I, I i imagine that it is so power to you like i think yeah. i think you'll find that sweet spot but i do think that is i i know exactly what type of a uh, you know tiktok videos you're talking about where it's like speaking really fast and then talking about an animal and their superficial abilities and all these things um but well, you know it's fun go ahead hurry me. no i was just gonna say i think that's like the because I'm just starting to dabble into the whole video content world. It's interesting to know like what hits a certain audience and what doesn't. Having like my doctorate in pharmacy, I can go really, really deep if I want to, but I don't know if that's going to connect. I think it's super cool, but I don't know if you're going to find it super cool or whoever. But I think at the end of the day, if you're passionate about it, people are just going to like it no matter what. But I agree. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. Do you think that a podcast might be a good place mm. to delve a little That's deeper true. into the sex chromosome <laughs> evolution of frogs? Oh, yeah, yeah? absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, like, okay. <laughs> I can always go deeper into <laughs> anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, I'm honestly so intrigued. Uh, I think I'd like to hear some of that on this pod at some point, if you can squeeze that in there a little yeah, bit um, before we do that. I want to go back in time and I want to learn about the Dylan Jones who became someone who loved frogs like yeah. or, or like, you know, tell us your origin story. Yeah, what a, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, where did this love specifically <laughs> for frogs, but I guess for environmentalism, for 
I mean, I'm amphibious creatures, all creatures, I assume. I'm assuming you're a creature lover. But how did that begin? What, what's your journey? Yeah, it's, it's, it's always interesting. And I, I always, I love telling this because I used to be like deathly scared of all things in nature, like, no like to the extreme. Um, like I, I ref, like I refused to go gardening. I was scared of worms for some reason. I, I couldn't go swimming in lakes. Like I was just, I don't know. I convinced myself that if I touch this lake water, a shark that had swum up from the Gulf of Mexico was going to eat me. Like I just, and then like someone told me that the lake wasn't connected to the ocean. Then I was like, what if someone releases a shark into the, you know, I just, I was so bad. And it was like that until I was like 14 or 15. Wow. Like it was a long term phobia. But it was weird because I was always watching like nature documentaries, like constantly. Interesting. Um, so I, I think it, yeah, I, I think it was one of those like you know you watch horror movies because you're scared of right. it. And I was like, right. oh that, oh I'm gonna watch this, but that snake's gonna kill me. But I gotta know <laughs> how badly is it gonna kill me, you know? So, you're constantly preparing it, for the worst case scenario by watching those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I was like, hey, King Cobra can kill seventy guys. I'm only one guy. It's gonna kill me seventy <laughs> times. I am scared. Um, <laughs> But then I don't know what happened. It was like a, like I don't know, a, a switch like flipped or something. Uh, mm. And then when I was like fifteen or sixteen, I just got completely over my fear. Um, wow. Like, and I think I'm overcompensating now, and I'm like, I'm not scared of that. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, and I guess to like kind of make it worse, I uh, my my family had a pet store. Like, I, I grew up around oh, no animals. Way. It was like the family business. Yeah, so, my family so interesting. like builds aquariums and stuff for like pet stores and nature centers wow. and zoos and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, really so like I was around them. I was just terrified. of them. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. It was like started working in the store, got really used to it, um, mm. was managing the reptile and amphibian sections. Mm. So that's where like the love for them started mm, obsession, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it yeah. was bad. I mean, at my peak, I had like 40 animals, uh, like personal pets. Really? That I was like wow. managing like, 200 or so at the store wow. like it was just it was just insane that i well there's your the fun fact at that. parties 40 <laughs> yeah pets. that's incredible that's i mean like lot. were they all large animal like when i say large i mean like does the 40 include fish because i oh, no. slightly don't count <laughs> <fish>. <laughs> yeah no no yeah. no no so i think like the most communal thing i had was a few dart frogs um oh, okay. and i had like three or four of them but I yeah. was keeping like geckos and snakes and yeah, frogs, gotcha. like all sorts of different stuff. It Amazing. Was, wow. Yeah, and then I went to college and gave you know gave them all up. I was like, what? I can't take care of all this. Like, <laughs> that's nuts. Wow. I I imagine that's a lot of terrariums in your house. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it was like it's it's like I, I think I mentioned it, but yeah, like my family makes aquariums and terrariums right. and stuff. So I. I always had easy access to it. That's true. It, it right. It def- right. definitely helped out. It was like, ah, oh, I could just grab one of those 50 gallons from the storeroom. <laughs> your your parents are like, hey, where did where did this go? I thought we had it on sale. You're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I... it was just like exposure therapy that yeah. uh, that's true. I, I made guess, you fall yeah. in love with the... Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Dylan, I have to uh, ask, because this has been yeah. my own selfish question that I would want to ask you. How did you come to San Diego? Were you like born and raised here or did you move here? Like, what's your story oh, uh, no. around that? Not at all. So I, I, I was born and raised in Texas. Um, oh, okay. So like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to, uh, I went to my undergrad out there in Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Gotcha. Loved it there. But, but basically, I was in the process of looking for grad school. And mm-hmm. I, oh, gosh, I, I had just I was just dead set on California in general. Um, okay. I just wanted to move to the West Coast. I just liked mm-hmm. California. And so I applied to a bunch of schools here, and just the one that ended up finally getting accepting was San Diego State. Um, nice. So we moved out here, like, I guess two, three? 
years ago wow something like that awesome. two and a half three years mm-hmm. yeah it was i i don't know i was i was all over the place like i was well because i was in um i was in belize before that for like a six oh. month stay uh just wow. doing research and then it was like yeah. Yeah, so but I had, I had to find like my San Diego apartment. I had to right. do all the school stuff. I had to do everything when like our our internet connection is literally oh. a, a cell phone. Like it, yeah. it was a hotspot. So wow, I, I just was not feeling it. But <laughs> oh yeah, gosh. but now here I am in San Diego and loving it. So that's yeah. awesome. Wow. Because that was going to be my next question. Uh, I know you post a lot, again, about frogs. And I think some of them, and you also post videos or stories where you're out, you know, out and about in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So my question is, is there, like, actually a lot of natural wildlife in San Diego? Because I I mean, I was born and raised here, and I guess I don't know anything about, like, our environment and, like, what's naturally occurring in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in terms of, like, city parks, San Diego is some of the best I've seen, honestly. Really? Um, mm. That might just be like me being in like my my Texas parks were very manicured whenever mm-hmm. I went and they weren't really that wild. I had to really get yeah. out there. Um, yeah. But here, I mean, there, there's parks that I can walk to and find frogs and snakes and really? all sorts of stuff. Wow. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's I, I feel super lucky here. But it's mm. of course you gotta like know where to look and like know yeah. when to look and all. all <laughs> there's so much elements that goes into it. Um, and, and I know San Diego is doing like a really good job of trying to connect all their parks for the wildlife oh. to make it like one giant citywide habitat, basically. Wow. Uh, so it, it's just I, I really do enjoy San Diego That's nature. Great. And of course, when you get like yeah. the northern parts of the county, there, there's so much mm-hmm. out there. That's true. I mean, really, all the all the portions, you know, you go east, you hit the deserts, the south, you get some really, really cool uh, little parks and whatnot. Very so cool. Yeah, Very I, I've cool. definitely explored a lot of San Diego parks. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's really great. I appreciate that your uh, videos where you're on hikes and stuff mm, out yes. in the parks is is just mostly you harassing your <laughs> girlfriend with bad nature puns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. But it's also very educational. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's like it, it's fun because like I've just I just started making stupid jokes, um, yeah. and then people started to really like stupid jokes. Right. And then I was like, oh, I can make these stupid jokes and make them educational jokes as well. Very cool. Um, yeah, and I'm like, okay, you know, sucker him in with a pun, and then in the exactly. caption, give him some facts. Real you know, in, yeah. right? <laughs> perfect, perfect. Yeah. You um, do you follow what's her her tag? I think it's Black Forager. You know, the, do you follow? You give me her yes. energy, but you're like the West Coast version yeah. of that. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. yeah. I, I cannot match her energy. It is so good. <laughs> like, oh, my God. But I, I feel this. I feel like it's the same level of it's like enthusiastic, mm-hmm. humorous, super intelligent and educational. It's just like really, really nice. Let's talk about frogs. Yeah. Or what, what, how did we we can we can like edit around this. How do we want to go into like the actual meat of today's topic i mean we can go right into it yeah. we can introduce dylan's topic or dylan can introduce his topic but i was gonna ask like did we want to talk about the sex chromosome stuff now or after dylan yeah based on what you think you're going to talk about today in general do you feel like there's a way that that could work into your topic or do you just want to like do that first and then go into oh the other you know stuff? what we, we yeah. can totally just ask like why i like frogs and I can just start diving. Like okay. I, okay. we can do the deep dive. <laughs> I got you. Okay. 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 So that. I'll uh, put it up there. Okay. So beyond you know having that moment in your fifteen or sixteen year old life where it suddenly flipped and then you liked animals and frogs, why do you like frogs as much as you do now? Like you're still studying them. So why frogs specifically? Mm. 
Yeah, it's it, it's been interesting because I I used to really like geckos and snakes a whole bunch, mm-hmm. uh, and amphibians were just like, oh, they're cool. But as I started to like learn more and more about them, especially when I started actually doing like research and having to dive deep into you know why is frog a frog, uh, <laughs> I just started realizing there's so much crazy complexity and diversity with them. And because of that, you get some really cool like evolutionary stories that I just like, like, like the sex chromosome thing. That that stuff, I just, I don't know. I found that was like my pandemic discovery, and I've just been <laughs> constantly like, I, I have like a Google alert that's just like frog awesome. sex chromosome, and everything just pops <laughs> up because it's like you know, I, I think we're so used to looking at things from like a human perspective mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we're used to seeing things as more rigid than they really are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, you know, humans, our, our sex chromosomes are X, X and X, Y, and then all mm-hmm. the different variations thereof, uh, but mm-hmm. mainly X, 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 Y. And, you know, it, it's a little cool. Like the, the, our Y chromosome is a little bit smaller than our X chromosome. And there's like a whole evolutionary story for why that happened. But then you look at frogs and I was like, I, I was wanting to look up. I was like, okay, are they the same kind of system? And mm. it just is like, yes and no, uh, depends on the species. Uh, wow. So some of them are this X, Y where it's like male determined. Some mm-hmm. species it's actually the, the, um, the, it's, it's the opposite. It's like female is determined. Mm. So it's mm-hmm. like a ZW system. It's also found in birds. Um, but then I was like digging deep and I was like, oh, this is interesting. You know, it's just a little bit different. But then I find that that some of their chromosomes are like uh, heteromorphic. So that's like mm-hmm. ours are with uh, Y is smaller than our X. But then there's other ones that are homomorphic that are just, they're the same. But yeah, so there, there's like heteromorphic and like their sex chromosomes, they can look the same, they can look different. Then I found out they're on all different chromosomes. And then I found out that there's this one species, this like Glandorana rugosa out in like Japan, mm-hmm. where they're just, I, they just don't know what they're doing. So it's like <laughs> certain populations of this one species, it's male determinate, some it's female, wow. some they're hybrids, some of them are on this chromosome, some of them, they're just like a mess. And it's like, why? And this yeah. is so cool. I um, would, I want to shamefully admit that I did not realize there were frogs endemic to Japan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's okay. frogs everywhere, and they all look so different. Ah, oh, they're so cool. Oh, but, yeah, so but it, it was yeah. stuff like that. It's it's like you look up one little thing about them, and yeah. it's, it's just stupidly complex. Like, getting into the, you know, nice segue. Uh, the, the poison, as well, is super, <laughs> super complex. Yeah. Well, I do want to go back quickly to what you were saying, because I am really curious. Because in order for something to change to that extent evolutionarily... There has to be like a huge significance, like a huge why behind that. I don't know in your Google alerts from what you've learned so far. Do you know why it's evolved to be certain ways uh, and so different uh, across even maybe the same species? Yeah. So it's like there's this there's the question of is there actually a why? You know, is it just Mm. like random happenstance, genetic drift or like there's all this. But um, some there's sometimes where it's a little bit of that. But with these frogs, it's really interesting. So this let me see which path do i want to dive down uh the, 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 so yeah so like with our with our chromosomes and other species that are heteromorphic where they're different mm-hmm. what, what happens is the the gene that determine or the genes that determine sex sometimes it's one sometimes it's multiple they'll get these other genes that like to kind of hitchhike off of them hmm. and sometimes they'll have these benefits that are really only for one uh, biological sex. So like in humans, there's a lot of genes that are that might just be beneficial for males, but if they get into the females, it's not beneficial. Yeah. So 
what happens is our chromosomes will do this, uh, or chromosomes will do this thing called recombination arrest. Basically, you know, the going back into basement. See, like, this is why I can't make this into a post because there's like so many different. <laughs> I little, know. Yeah. Um, so, like, our, our, our chromosomes, whenever we like, you know, have uh, have the next generation, mm-hmm. they like to like crisscross and swap genes. But if if they swap genes and now the females are getting these genes that are really, really bad for them, it's not beneficial. So they just stop swapping the genes. Well, that has an effect because the swapping of genes has a positive effect. It increases diversity and helps to get rid of like bad uh, mutations. Mm -hmm. So those chromosomes that are smaller are smaller because of an accumulation of these really bad mutations and bad genes Mm -hmm. that just degrade the chromosome over time and just... Yeah, so it's like this crazy thing. But then in frogs, some of them have that, some of them don't. And so they found that what's happening is that the sex uh, genes, the genes that are determining sex, are just kind of switching over to different chromosomes if they start to accumulate Whoa. some extra like bad mutations. It's a chromosomal turnover. Whoa. And it's just like, it, it's, it's just so cool. That's like, you know, again, like you find one little thing and it go down a rabbit yeah. hole. And then it's like, <laughs> and then it's the question. It's like, why are some frogs have this? Why do others right. don't? And they're just, right. as a group, just an awesome system for answering really cool questions. That's so interesting. Yeah. And you said it, it's a similar situation with birds? Yeah. So so birds have a, they have a ZW uh, determinant okay. system. So mm-hmm. our, ours is XY. So it's like, yeah. if you have the Y chromosome, you develop into a male. Mm-hmm. Birds have ZW. It's if you have the W, you develop into a female. Got uh, it. The, the X and Y, ZW are just placeholders. It can be like any different gene on any different chromosome. It's right, just, right. Yeah. That's so interesting. Uh, but it's, it, it's super, super cool. And then like reptiles and amphibians, theirs are all their sexual chromosome stuff is a little bit murky and muddy, which I think is super cool. That's Uh, super cool. Is that something that you're pursuing in terms of your master's or is your master's totally separate? Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Yeah. I was going to say, can you make a switch? uh, Yeah, I know. It's like, uh, I keep going down all these real, like, I I think I literally said like 30 minutes ago, 45 minutes ago to my girlfriend, like, "Ah, I need to do some comparative study with frogs. I'm just like, I don't even care what it is. I just want to answer a question that is only on frogs. Because mine is just like, how do I make this big amount of data into something useful is yeah, more or less yeah. what it is but it's totally yeah <laughs> that's so cool though <laughs> i'm thoroughly like enjoying myself right now yeah. <laughs> so you said you worked with uh dart frogs yeah no or, uh, well no? I, I kept a few i kept a you few. kept a few yeah okay. yeah yeah okay but i mean i i've worked with other species of frogs just not the dart frogs gotcha got okay okay so are dart frogs poisonous dart like are, are there like just dart frogs and then there's poisonous Poison dart frogs, so they're separate. Yeah, th- there's a group. So usually, dart frogs refers to uh, the frogs of the family Dendrobatidae. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, a, I think, there is one genus within there that isn't toxic, but they're pretty much all usually pretty toxic. Toxic, um, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. And gotcha. there's also mantellas, which are from Madagascar, which oh. are actually I'm definitely going to talk about them because they're yeah. they're they're just like dart frogs, but they're not at all like they're not closely related. They're mm. different sides of the globe you know madagascar and then like yeah. south and central america interesting um, but yeah yeah it's a okay. really good example of convergent evolution yeah but, well i think yeah. on that note why don't we just jump into the topic at hand so dylan we'll let you take it away yeah yeah so like yes so i i just have like a big thing of show notes because i just sure ah, i dove into like all the different things <laughs> of like toxins and poisons and stuff that i really enjoy with reptiles yes, and amphibians 
because it's like I have never studied toxin professionally or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just always been like my side. The the thing I read when I don't want to read my own research. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I fully yeah. understand that. So, uh, yeah. Um, so like I guess dart frogs are just ah, oh, they're so cool. So. <laughs> So, so dart frogs—they are uh, like, like we mentioned, they're the, the family Dendrobatidae. They mm-hmm. are these mm-hmm. uh, these really brightly colored frogs. I mean, they're they're so ubiquitous. People really know like what poison dart frogs look like, or at least have some idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also toxic. They uh, yeah. they're poisonous. Mm-hmm. But but what's a little interesting with them, and it, I think when we think of toxins, uh, especially in like the animal kingdom and the and as, as well as with plants. We, we think of it as this, like, they're, they're producing the toxins, they are just making it um, yeah. themselves with their own body. But, but dart frogs have a little bit of an interesting system where they're really getting their toxins from their diet. Mm. They're, they're, they're eating, like, these uh, little, uh, oh, there's a correct word for it. I'm just going to say termites and mites and li- little yeah. things like that. They're, they're rich in alkalines, and that gives them their toxin. So, so cool. it's, it's actually really cool because if you have yeah. them in captivity, uh, they're not toxic because right. you're oh. feeding them mostly fruit flies. Like you can, yeah. uh, you know, I've held a poison dart frog in my hand and it's mm. not a, not a big deal. Yeah. Only in captivity, which is like, right. it, it's just super cool to see that. It's like, well, yeah. what's going on? Why don't they have this poison? And mm-hmm. then if you actually, there's been some studies that found if you put them back with the, with the same diet, they'll, they'll immediately start producing toxins again. Oh. So it's, it's super, super cool. But it's, it, it starts to raise these, like, really interesting questions of, okay, so they're not necessarily uh, creating the toxins themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's paired with these really, really bright colors. You know, what, what's going on with that? <laughs> and that's, that's actually been the cool question of, like, what came first, the bright colors or the toxins? Right. Mm, um, that's true. And it's, ah, it's so cool because, like... <laughs> So, ah, this is like, I'm, I'm just like, which rabbit hole am I wanting to dive down first? Oh, all of them, please. Uh, I, right? Well, so like the, the, the bright coloration thing, it, it's, it's episomatism. And I always, I always mm. pronounce that incorrectly. Mm. Um, probably because I haven't had to speak about it in a professional <laughs> setting before. So I, I don't care how I pronounce it. So I'm going to pronounce it like four different ways this, this podcast. Sounds um, Right. But it's it, it's seen like I think the classic example that people give is like monarch butterflies. Mm-hmm. It's it's like mm. a warning coloration. It's uh, I am toxic. Don't eat me. Right. Uh, it's cool because dart frogs exhibit that. Mm-hmm. And what you kind of expect is that in like classical theory of how this like uh, trait develops is that you have a diet specialization first. So you you start consuming something that makes you toxic mm-hmm. um, because in monarch butterflies as well they're they're toxic through the uh, plants that they eat mm-hmm. and it just accumulates and if something else eats it they die as well but i guess actually yeah therein lies the conflict it's like okay cool you're toxic if something eats you you both die it, it's right. like it's right. not it's not a good thing so <laughs> yeah. you need that uh that, that that's where the idea is that they became toxic first and then mm-hmm. color uh, evolved afterwards. Mm-hmm. It's like a, hey, now that I'm toxic, don't eat me. You know, which is like, I wish they had that same warning for people. But uh, <laughs> unfortunately, toxic people are not always brightly colored. Um, so <laughs> Sometimes they are. Sometimes right. they're real flashy. That is true. Yeah, that is true. true. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but then there's this other theory with the dart frogs specifically, right? That it's mm-hmm. the color might have evolved first. And there, there's some evidence with it. It's, you know, it's not, 
this like every time it's like there's a scientific debate i think it's always people mm. imagine like there's two sides of the room and they're like about to yell at each other and it's it's not really that it's just like people differing opinions mm-hmm. um but, you know but they, there's been some thoughts that they might have actually evolved to be diurnal first and mm-hmm. then that uh being active during the day then they evolved color and then that allowed them to actually eat more prey that mm. let them be toxic. That's like mm, one theory. No. I think there's a little bit of evidence for it. Yeah, it's, it's like it's like an interesting... Um, I mean, this is kind of the problem with uh, evolutionary biology yeah. all the time is we have this pattern, but the process that led to that pattern can be so many different processes. Right. And that's and what I saw too, Dylan. Like when I was doing my research, I, I mean, I guess I didn't really realize amphibians tend to be nocturnal animals and that... For poison dart frogs, they're diurnal, as you said. But it didn't occur to me, like, why that would be. Like, why did they evolve to be more common? Because in my mind, I'm like, if they are not wanting to be eaten, I would think at night they'd be more safe. So they're just kind of, like, out of the light or, like, just being exposed in the daytime. So that's an interesting tidbit that you just shared. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And because they're so brightly colored and they're out during the daytime, right. predators see them are like, I'm not going to eat that. So mm-hmm. they can just consume as much prey as they want basically that's so interesting the, uh, yeah it's it's like that's that that's sort of the thing with uh with toxin in the the reptile amphibian world is that it has all these like side effects that go along yeah. with it that are yeah. just so cool to figure out and study and but then, do the frogs like, know uh, they're poisonous like when you say like they evolved like in my mind i'm like but how do they know like do they know that they're toxic right? because right. In, in that scenario you're totally right like a uh, predator sees them, eats them, they both die. But then that's where it ends. There's no knowledge that's gained from that. Unless there's maybe another frog sitting nearby and it's like, oh shit, like my brother just got eaten, you know, yeah. or whatever. So well, it's, it's, the, it's, it's, it's super cool. It's the, is it, it's the reproduction. Like the one that mm. died didn't reproduce. So right. true, true, like that's because of whichever one <laughs> had the most vibrant color was eating the most toxic insect yeah. and didn't die and was able to reproduce. I, that's, I'm, this is my basic knowledge of evolution. It's not that far off though. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, that, that's like natural selection at work right there. Yeah. And that, that's what makes it yeah. super, super cool. Um, yeah. yeah. Super cool. So yeah, it's like, that's. It's always like these like small gradual changes, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like it wasn't like all of a sudden they were non-toxic and then they were really toxic. Yeah. They were it was like a little bit more toxic over time and then mm-hmm. a little bit more brightly colored. And these things are co-evolving. They're evolving together on this trajectory. So cool. But yeah, and I, I think the cool thing with it is that it's seen in other organisms too, and it's been mm-hmm. seen multiple times. Right. And I th- and I think even like the 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 switch to this uh, this diet, this specific diet in dart frogs. I think that occurred four different times across the dart frog, like uh, tree of life or whatever. So it's like, oh, interesting. It keeps happening. Why does it keep happening? But they're still closely related. So there's something that's driving that. And there's there's just so many cool questions you can get into just off of like, why are these frogs brightly colored? You know, oh, that one's pretty. Why? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. No, oh. ask me a question. Because I, <laughs> I gonna... there's like, there's a rabbit hole. <laughs> I was going to say, as a comparison, when I think about the frog that's used for cambo practices, it's Phylomedusa bicolor. I was just relooking this stuff up. <laughs> and, um, but um, what was interesting about what you said about dart frogs is that um, their toxicity is attributed to maybe their diet, right? What I 
recall from what I read up on Phylomedusa bicolor, the Cambo frog, is that they it's not diet based. It's like they have this special type of peptide. I have to look at the word. My <laughs> opioid peptides that are just natural to that specific species and like apparently they're not found in any other types of amphibians or like there's a small amount of amphibians that have this particular opioid peptide and so that's why I'm like well what's the what's the answer there like what what were they experiencing in their family tree that the genes were like okay this helped you survive so we're passing this along so yeah, I I just thought that was like a it's, interesting it's, contrast. It's super cool, and like the ones that like secrete their poison, mm-hmm. like uh, I mean, just dart frogs do as well. But like it, w- when they just secrete it, and it's more of a noxious thing, not necessarily like a I'm going to kill you type of thing. Yeah. Th- yeah. That's when it gets really interesting because there's also the uh, I mean, my, my favorite one is like the Insilius uh, alvarius, the uh, Sonoran desert yeah. toad. It has like four mm-hmm. different types because they, they have D- <laughs> oh they have DMT in their in their poison, yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, they yeah. secrete DMT. <laughs> And like people, like it's always funny reading the websites that talk about it. They're like this rare, elusive. It's not rare at all. It is stupidly common. Yeah. Um, if, if you go out in Arizona during like the monsoons and just drive around, I promise you will see them. They are giant, big wow. frogs. Oh yeah. Um, I'm yeah. looking at a photo right now. Oh yeah, they're they're, they're big, big honkers. Yeah, they're. Is massive. this where the uh, the Futurama toad was inspired? <laughs> I think so. Actually, because like. I mean, if they you lick it, it's DMT. That, oh I don't my know, gosh! Like, so. Well, because I was just going to say, like to your point, Dylan, the poison dart frogs—they're super brightly colored. But in contrast, like the Sonoran toad, they're not colored whatsoever. They just kind of look like mud, you know. And yeah, I, I don't know toads. what's that exactly. So maybe they've evolved to not need that protection but that's that's so interesting to me yeah but i mean like so many toads like almost all toads still secrete poison uh like most of them do so they have these big old glands right behind their ears these big parotids that are just Mm -hmm. like ah they're so cool and um i mean things like cane toads they're they're a big problem because the poison they secrete kills other animals uh especially dogs and cats it's like well known to don't let your dog Uh, right right yeah actually dogs in general are kind of um sensitive i guess to toad Mm, toxins mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How how much do you think like when it comes to toads? How much do you think is that a a factor of how they live in their environment? Because uh, you know when we think a very for me very basic differentiation between a frog and a toad. Frogs are more amphibious. They might live a little bit more in liquid water i don't know and toads when i think toad i think uh drier like they're going to be more above ground unless you're the burrowing type of toad do you think that has an impact as to why all toads are probably have that gland because they're just exposed more i don't know yeah it's an interesting question because it's like because what's funny is like as a general rule that's that's right you know uh frogs are more uh they have like a thinner skin that is more susceptible to drying out. Toads mm-hmm. usually have a thicker skin. They can usually survive in deserts a lot easier. Mm-hmm. But then you also totally have toads in like tropical environments. You totally have frogs mm-hmm. in desert environments. Interesting. And so it, 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 it is always that question of like, is it, is it habitat? Is it something else? And also there's a lot of like, ah, it's something I haven't dove too deep into yet. But there has been talk about the fact that there tends to be more toxic animals around the equator than at the oh, poles. Like, that's cool. And that I means it's just like there are also just more animals that are in general. Yeah, you know, <laughs> there's general. more species in yeah. general. Yeah. yeah, but also like, yeah, it's it's like a lot of you know, uh, 
like here in oh gosh, like here in San Diego, I think there's seven species of rattlesnake. Um, you know, so like lots of toxic rattlesnakes. Wow. And yeah. then you go up north uh, into like Canada and whatnot, you get maybe one. I think you get like Massasaugas wow. or something. No, nothing mm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, huh. Oh, no, you get, t- no, you used to get timbers. They're extinct up there now. I was like, I think they got them. And I was like, oh, no, never mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 or timbers. Yeah. Oh. Pour one out, y'all. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's like, yeah, but there's so many questions. And I think venom and poison is, um, I, I think it get, has a lot of focus because it's just cool. There's just it's cool, so, yeah. cool research. That is cool. And, you know, they have, there's like medical importance as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like it's like we have, we have Botox and heart medication because mm-hmm. of snake venom. And so right. it's, yeah. Very yeah, cool. Yeah. When I was doing my research, I noticed that there, the poison dart frogs mostly are coming from like Central and South America. But then I think you mentioned that there is one other species totally somewhere else. Mantella. Yeah, yeah, mantellas. <laughs> so, so what's cool is like they're not a dart frog at all. They're not really oh. related to them. Oh. So, but they, so they, <clears throat> they exist on the island of Madagascar. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also brightly colored. Uh, they're also poisonous, and they so also cool. get their poison from another, uh, from a very, very similar prey source. I think mm. it's like ants versus termites is basically yep. where it splits. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's this really cool example of like convergent evolution, mm. and, and it sort of like asks the question of, you know, g- given the right uh, conditions, right. Mm-hmm. Is this sort of pathway almost inevitable if you have small mm. frogs that start eating uh, termites and ants, you know, uh, heavily? Is this, yeah. are you going to move towards this bright coloration, this uh, mm. very highly potent toxin and stuff? So it's totally, it's super, super cool. That's super cool. Do you, um, I, we, we didn't ask this yet, but um, when it comes to either the mentella or the dart frog, how much of their toxin has to be? I don't know. What's the LD50? Do you know the LD50? Uh, I wish I knew the LD50. I usually don't look it up because it (laughs) describes so much. Like, I have to say, here's what an LD50 is. Half of them died. Uh, um, (laughs) But yeah, it's, um, I don't know the LD50, but I know it Mm. does differ depending on species. Because uh, within the dart frogs, some species are more toxic than others. Some are quite very toxic they, they will kill you um mm-hmm. if you don't get medical treatment mm-hmm. but uh what, what's interesting and this is like nice segue back into like uh the, the bright colors there's yeah. actually seems to be a trend with dart frogs where the more brightly colored you are the actual less toxic you are oh. um, and there's Crying this wolf. sort of this cool yeah, yeah but but then like there's this one um Oh no! Oh, I'm getting all my words mixed up. Whatever, doesn't matter. The most toxic <laughs> dart frog one, like yeah. I forget the name. It's super cool looking. They're like yellow and they're super cool, but they're kind of drab. Frogs? And, uh, <laughs> might no. might be common names are tricky because I know. I, yeah. yeah, well, because people yeah, but- also called like the Panamanian golden toad, yeah. uh, uh, golden dart frogs, okay. and that one was a whole different. Anyways, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's actually like super toxic. It'll totally kill you. Yeah, and yeah. it's like just kind of like eh, it doesn't it's not flashy. Interesting. Um, and like yeah, but there's like some talk that it might just be this trade off. Like you get to this point where you're toxic and you're brightly colored, but it requires resources to make both. It requires resources mm-hmm. to make these mm-hmm. pigments and maintain these bright colors. But it also requires resources to produce this venom. So you right. kind of have this like um, this sort of drifty. It just sort of segments out where either you're going to be super toxic or mm-hmm. you're going to be super brightly colored 
just because that's what's best that's for cool. that species. Yeah. Right. It almost seems like the the one that you mentioned that was super, super vibrant, but actually had relatively low toxicity in comparison to others. It almost sounds like that one maybe was in an environment where like it didn't. I guess it comes down to its diet, uh, I guess. But, like, maybe it didn't have to depend so much on its diet. Like, the, it, f- I don't know. <sighs> I had it yeah. better in my brain. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, yeah. I totally see what you're saying. I mean, because it yeah. totally could have been that it was super, super, super easy for these uh, particular individuals, or, like, the, no, no, super, super difficult for yeah. the for the brightly colored ones to get these, uh, these, uh, these prey sources right, that right. make them toxic. While yeah. the other ones, which uh, actually, interestingly, the, the drab colored ones are also kind of big. Um, oh. And so they are, if I'm, if I'm getting my species right, they're also kind of big. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I got to double check that. But, uh, <laughs> um, all right. but yeah, but like, but, but yeah, it could have totally been that they had yeah. better access to the prey that gave them toxin, but not so right. much really made them brightly colored. So I was like, eh, let's not try and make this anymore. Right. You know, it's like, it's like I'm personifying a process that takes thousands and tens and hundreds of thousands of years. But yeah, like it gets the point across, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's got to compensate one way or the other, depending on their environment, which is really cool. Right. Yeah. Also, uh, whenever um, Dylan says totally, I totally hear it as toad. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know totally. if any boys and pals would say the same thing. <laughs> that might have to go into the episode title. <laughs> I love it. Besides death, uh, what are symptoms? <laughs> what What are symptoms that you might experience if you got a little amount on, like, in your system? Yeah, I mean, like, mm-hmm. like with most poisons and stuff, you're gonna have nausea, you're gonna have vomiting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a pretty common system. Um, mm-hmm. But now that I'm actually thinking about it, I'm not too sure of the other symptoms because I'm just usually mm-hmm. like, yeah, you, you lick it, you die. Um, and then it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I got you, you know, Dylan, on that one. Yes, I can help. Oh, okay, Harini, but... coming in. Okay, well, uh, oh, should I go into it right now? I can. I totally can. Yes, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, because yeah. I was gonna say, I think maybe. I don't know. I, I don't want to pronounce this wrong, but I know you're talking about like the most poisonous species, but I have a genus here for you. It's Philobates or Philo... Yes. Okay. Ah, yes. I was I was saying yes. I, yeah. Because I okay. was saying Phylomedusa in my head and I was like, that's not right. Because that's the other one. Right. That's right. the That's combo. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. you're right. You're very right. Okay, great. Okay. So <laughs> that's what I have here. And the toxin itself is called Batrachotoxin. And this is what I thought was really interesting. Not all poison dart frogs, as Dylan mentioned, you know, have the same level of toxicity. And they also don't produce the same toxins either. There Mm -hmm. are some species of dart frogs that produce different types of toxins. But I think primarily batrachotoxin seems to be the the main one. Mm. And as Dylan mentioned, it's just this powerful steroidal alkaloid that they get from their food. It's usually Mm. like these termites or these beetles. It affects your nervous system. So it has a similar um, toxicity profile to the pufferfish poison that Megan Ooh. actually covered a few episodes back. But the yeah. way that it works is it, your brain sends these instructive electrical text messages, right, to different parts mm. of your body that allow your body to function in order to send that text message. But in order to get right. that text across, it needs to go through your sodium channels. And Mm. essentially, you need sodium channels to be open to allow the text message to go through and relay the message. But you also need the sodium channels to close in order to stop sending that particular message. 
So what botrachotoxins do is they keep the sodium channels open. They don't allow Mm. them to close. And that's also an issue. Mm. You want something to start, but you also want it to stop. So that causes it to disrupt the brain's messaging system. And it's very debilitating, potentially fatal, depending on like how much you ingest or lick or whatever you're doing to this frog. And it causes (laughs) paralysis, extreme pain, and then eventually cardiac failure and your heart just stops and you die. So that's got kind it, of the situation it. that goes on. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. cool. Great explanation. Ah. I also, I'm like, I'm always, I love this because also I'm like, this is the profile of a lot of toxins that we've covered. It just, yeah. they just uh, exhaust your system by keeping those channels open. And then, totally. then you just, you seize up because you're, you're just firing, firing, mm-hmm, firing, firing. Mm-hmm, exactly. So, yeah. But what I thought was super interesting is there is only one animal on earth that is immune to poison dart frogs. So I don't know, Dylan, if you know this, not to put you on the spot. I'm so intrigued. Yes. I'm so intrigued. Cause I can just well, go dart frogs it. themselves are. They, yeah. Yes, that's true. That is. Yep. You're right. So too. Not all of them, but not all of them. Ooh. Oh, okay. really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that's news to me. I just found that out 20 minutes before this podcast. Oh, wow. Wait, why don't you share, love that. Why don't love you that. share what you know about those that are not immune? Because that's really interesting to me. And then I can share my species or my animal that's immune. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, um, it, it's basically, oh gosh, it's some receptor that some of the frogs have evolved to be like resistant to their own poison. Oh my but God. it was yeah, I yeah. don't but I don't think it was found in all of the frogs, which was interesting. That uh, is interesting. Yes. I was like, that doesn't really make sense, but yeah. Yeah, but it's it's super cool. Yeah. That is super and you're cool. You're like, hey, yeah, that's it's it's like it's so toxicity to the point where it affects yourself. Like that's yeah. kind of cool. In yeah. my opinion, but uh. what a metaphor. Okay, I'm sorry. Life. I have I have like bad bad thoughts in my head, but uh, <laughs> anyway. Um <laughs> Very cool, very cool. To go back to this, there is one other animal that is immune to these poison dart frogs, and it's called the fire-bellied snakes. Do you know fire-bellied snakes? No, no, but I know a jumping off point for this. Good, go on, okay, go on. Great. I, I, got, I got some cool stuff. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> great. Yeah, so fire-bellied snakes, these are the only known natural predators of dart frogs because they are immune to the frog's toxins. Unfortunately, oh. I did not get to go dive deeper into like exactly how they're immune, but... They are. They are. I got you. I got you. Oh, you do. Okay, great. I know because this is like uh, this is like a perfect example of like coevolutionary arms race Uh and this thing called like the Red Queen hypothesis, which I love because it's like the Red Queen hypothesis is what got me into like evolution because I just thought it was super cool. Um, So like, okay, so it's like this. This isn't like the only case of this where you have a super, super, Mm. super toxin animal and then a predator that isn't immune to it or, or is immune to it. Um, it's it's actually somewhat common, mm. and that's also why these things are super toxic. Because like uh. it, it, it's always this question of like, okay, this is cool that like this little animal can kill like you know this many humans, but why? Why yeah, it doesn't I mean... need to kill that many? It doesn't need to like be that deadly. It <laughs> right. just needs to be deadly enough to kill one thing, not fifty. Right. That's true. Um, right. So it's this it's this trade off often because of predators. Um, mm. So. Oh, so when it, when we say like coevolutionary arms race, it has such a cool title. Mm-hmm. Coevolutionary is just like two things evolving together. So it could be like two species, it could be two traits, like like we discussed earlier mm-hmm. with this uh, uh, aposematic coloring and right. uh, toxicity. 
Mm-hmm. But when it occurs with predators, what's happening is the prey is toxic. Cool. Well, now the predator mm-hmm. is immune to that toxic. Well, the mm-hmm. prey over time is like, hmm, we need to get more toxic to kill yeah. this thing that keeps trying to eat us. <laughs> well, then that thing keeps getting more immune. Oh. And it keeps going uh, back and forth, back and forth to the point where they're just both going in this really cool That's trajectory nice. of being ultra immune oh. and ultra stuff. Whoa. So this is also seen in... Uh, in California, it's actually seen with a lot of cool examples. Mm. Um, so in the same amphibian and snake thing, if you go up to like San Francisco, there's yeah. garter snakes and rough-skinned newts that are the same way. Oh. Rough-skinned newts, if you handle them, you can also get like uh, you can also get really sick, possibly huh. die from it. But the garter snakes are completely immune. And then when it gets to even like you know that that's super cool stuff, but mm-hmm. it also happens with like rattlesnakes and a kangaroo mice. So like uh, it's it's like a super well-known system. And it happens often. I know several different people who have studied these types of systems. That's so cool. Where these these rattlesnakes that are, you know, very potentially deadly to, mm-hmm. to people. Yeah. And uh, a little bitty kangaroo mouse will get bit and doesn't even really affect That's them. They so just hop crazy. away. Wow. And it, it's like, what? And it's the same thing. And it's, uh, it's called the Red Queen Hypothesis. It's Love because in Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass, there's this scene in the book where Alice is running away from the Red Queen mm-hmm. on a treadmill. So they're running in place, but they're actually not getting anywhere. That's uh, but so they're chasing cool. after one another. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite things. And I'm so happy there was a tie-in because I didn't know how to tie it in with poison dart frogs. That is yeah. so awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I, wow, love okay, that. that's super cool. And to go actually back to what you were saying about the poison dart frogs being immune to themselves, as they probably should be, this is coming from a journal of general physiology, just to name a source. Uh, so they propose that poison dart frogs have a toxin sponge. They have these toxin sponge molecules that prevent mm. the batrachotoxin from binding with sites on the frog's own cells, which provides that immunity. So kind of like this protective shield on a molecular level. So that's super, super cool. And that's what keeps them safe from themselves. (laughs) Okay. And the, the, the fire belly snakes, they're just immune. They are not toxic themselves. Like they're not, once they ingest the dart frog, it's, it's just done. It doesn't appear that way. It doesn't appear that they're toxic themselves. I don't know. Dylan, do you have more information on that? Uh, from all the stuff I know, they're usually not toxic themselves, yeah. which is oh. which is interesting. But because the thing is, it like it's not necessarily. I mean, even the frogs, you know, they're they're toxic, but it's not necessarily that they're eating the thing and then all of a sudden the toxic is in them because they're they're mm. secreting them. They're actually mm-hmm. kind of actively mm-hmm. producing it. It's just the right. source is from their diet, but they still need those those pathways, those processes to actually utilize the toxicity in some way. So yeah. the snakes probably just don't have that pathway. I mean, it's it's like it's like almost like humans. It's like we eat so many things that do have toxins in them, True. and yeah. we don't we don't die from them. True. But we're also not exuding poison from our pores. <laughs> right, um, right, as cool as that would be. That would be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how true or valid the statement is, but in the research I was doing, because I was also curious, when I was doing my research, there was like a top 16 of like most poisonous dart frogs, and they're all so different looking. I was so shocked and impressed mm. by that in itself. Not just the colors, but the patterning as well, and where the patterning happens on the frog's body, et cetera, et cetera. It's just super, super cool. And so in that article itself, they were talking about how huge the variety of colors are and how that came to be. So there was a theory as to why that might be. So Mm. I guess like around 10,000 years ago, what is now Panama was flooded and that caused all like this one species of frogs to get separated and be forced to Mm. have like their own biodiversity depending on the environment that they are in. So they just sort of evolved to the location that they were sent to 
from this flood. So I don't know if you've heard that theory, but I found that interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like this. Uh, it's basically this whole thing with islands. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they'd be islands. Uh, I mean, because you could just be an island surrounded by rivers, right? Uh, but yeah, yeah, so it's like it, it's it's a really good example of genetic drift happening, mm-hmm. um, where we we always say it's like these random processes, and yeah. actually, usually the example we give is a river forms and splits a species in two. Mm, yeah. Now they're on two different you know pathways because they're not switching genes. Mm-hmm. But with dart frogs, it's more like they split them into like you know twenty fours, right? Whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, there's like I mean, if if you go on like any like pet trade how to look at dart frog stuff or whatever there's all these regional variations yeah. and little bitty populations that are found only in other areas and there's also some evidence with some species that there's some sexual selection driving ah. the color patterns and variation not oh. all but i think it's um ufaga pumilo um. i think they have a lot of sexual selection that's actually sort of affecting oh, so cool. uh, the colors and the patterns of wow. them which is like ah super cool stuff that's yeah. really yeah. interesting dart, dart frogs are like the coolest system they're so cool <laughs> uh, i have okay. one more note on like the toxin side of things so like I was saying, not all of them secrete this batrachotoxin. There is one other frog I want to call out that secretes a different toxin. It's the phantasmal poison frog. Yeah. I'm looking so, this one up too. <laughs> yeah. It's actually very, I think it's one on the smaller side, which may uh, lead credence to your theory of like these. Well, actually, no. Because I was going to say it's small, but it's pretty toxic which I know is kind of the opposite of what you were saying. So I think it just depends. But anyways, so this, yeah, I also could have been wrong. So no, that's, yeah. I mean, I, 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 you're the fraud expert here to us. But uh, this phantasmal poison frog, which already is like a super cool name, secretes a toxin called, ep- okay, I'm going to say this one time in my head, epibatidine. And it carries enough poison to kill an adult human. I think most of these would, but it, I think the point is it is pretty toxic. It's not as toxic as the vitracotoxins. So scientists are actually looking at using this particular toxin to develop a non-addictive painkiller that's more powerful than morphine. Kind of similar to what you were saying with the, the cambo mm. practice or like the, the secretions yeah. from the cambo frog. I, I really like natural medicines um, and yeah. I really have no good alternatives to painkillers. So that'd be cool. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, and that's like, I mean, there's just so many cool, there's, I mean, there's so much cool, like, medical stuff that's found in poisons and toxins. Oh, and, dude. I mean, with reptiles and amphibians in general, yeah. there seems to be a lot of really cool things. And then you also see things like, I mean, like, I, I always, I don't know, the DMT frogs always just crack dude. me up. It's like, yeah. it's just like, okay, cool, they got some psychedelics. And, you know, it's that's funny, so it was actually wild. like, a, I, I was at this conference and I asked a, a professor, I was like, yeah, you know, how does it actually work? Because everyone says you just lick it and you trip. And he's like, mm-hmm. he's like, no, 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 that's not how it is. Now, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but apparently what you do is you uh, take a swab, take it mm-hmm. off the thing, you put it on a plate, you dry it out, you have it mm. a crystal. And he just described this whole process. And I was Dude, like, oh, but you yeah. don't know. Okay. <laughs> like... Yeah, that's very similar to the ca- Cambo mm-hmm. it- combo i don't know how to pronounce it now combo process but yeah it's like you take the mucus and then you let it dry before you use it or something so i wonder why that is the case uh, just on the human side of like why do we need it to dry in the first place to get that impact that effect yeah, yeah maybe it just know. concentrates it down and, yeah. yeah i don't know maybe there's maybe there's something volatile when it's like in a liquid state that gets removed when it's dry right out or something. Could I, don't, be. I don't know yeah could be yeah yeah i remember because when I was on the poison control rotation, I think there was a case of some kid. Like, he took one of these Snoran toads. He boiled the toad, unfortunately, alive 
to like try to get it to release because because from my understanding these toads will secrete the toxin when they're feeling threatened or scared so that was the idea Mm -hmm. i guess from his perspective to like scare the toad into secreting these hallucinogenic properties and then he like tried to eat it or whatever it didn't work obviously didn't he just like got in like a shit ton of trouble for like you know harming animal life as you should but bufotenin which is the actual like chemical that causes it to have like that dmt like hallucinogenic Mm. effect on you as you said the parotid glands like you just squeeze on it enough and enough can come out but the issue is Mm. like you don't know how much is concentrated within that secretion so there's no dose control obviously so Mm. people that Mm -hmm. take it they think they're going to have either like it's really just like a toss-up that you're taking on your own risk of you might have like a really nice trippy experience or you could die you know like there's like no in between (laughs) Yeah, it's it's so funny because I've seen like some conservation groups talk about them specifically, mm-hmm. and they're always like, it's always like, if you're gonna get DMT, just get DMT. <laughs> right. Like, if you want to do that, just get it. Like, it's it's funny because I was like, it's not hard, but what you're doing is very difficult, Dude, and yeah. it might not work the way you want. So like yeah. that, I like that that's their approach now, and yeah, and then they'll sell merchandise that has like these the the toads, but then like really trippy. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, it's just super funny. I'm always like, oh, this is cool. But yeah. that's a really good point, to be honest. I'm just like, <laughs> just leave, leave the toad alone. Like, no. there's many other pathways to get this this drug right. hallucinogenic. That's so funny. 100%. 100%. Really quick callback because I, well, Megan and I both love origin stories. So, Megan, I'm mm. sure Dylan, you already know this. So, this is, mo- I'm mostly talking to Megan on this one. But, um, okay. oh, and if you're confused why I'm calling her Megan, that's just like my nickname for her. <laughs> it makes no sense yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> you can call me that too, Dylan. You can call me Megan. I don't mind. <laughs> but, I mean, of course, poison dart frogs. They have that name because they were used, like the, the poison secretions were used to be on the tips of these blow darts that were used by the indigenous people mm-hmm. in su- Central and South mm-hmm. America. But I, I'm just like impressed that it held that name for so, so long that it became like colloquial. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm right. assuming that people, especially like in your field, Dylan, they don't call them by that name. Like you would probably call it by its actual like scientific name. Is that right? Yeah, most of the time they're called like a well. They're called, I mean, you still you still hear it called dart frogs. Um, mm-hmm. um, usually because it, I guess it depends because sometimes it just clicks yeah. with people and they know right. what it's, you're talking about. But a lot of times you hear dendrobatids, and that just mm-hmm. refers to all of them usually. Gotcha, so. gotcha. That's all I have on my end. Okay. I don't know, if Dylan. I know you can go on for a long time. Yeah. So do you, you have, have any? I know. Um, I know. You do you have any bonus outside of dendrobatid? Is that is that the word? Is that the word? Dendrobatid. Yeah. Batted. Uh, do you have any yeah. any um, <laughs> other cool amphibious or reptiles or any sort of animal that's toxic that interests you outside of the dendrobatid species? Yeah. I think the only one, the only one I had, like as a little note thing, just in case, yeah, um, yeah. pull it out, which is perfect. <laughs> Uh, is the Mojave rattlesnake because I just think they're really cool. Um, so they're I've I've only seen them once. Uh, they're super super pretty rattlesnakes. They're they almost got like a greenish shine to them. Ooh. I don't know. They're super beautiful. Yeah. Um. So they're cool because they have two different types of toxins. So okay. they have hematoxins as well as neurotoxins. <laughs> wow. And yeah. some of them have a mixture of both. Sort of. They exhibit both of the phenotypes, but it's mm. population specific. So. Oh. It, it's. I think it's just. A, it's basically just a differing concentration of one protein, or mm. maybe probably a few, but yeah. mainly one protein over another. But what's really cool is the fact that it, it's localized to individual populations. Yeah. So you could go to 
one, and it's a neurotoxic one. Drive, you know, a, a few kilometers somewhere else, and it's a different That's one. That's crazy. Um, and what you'll find also some that exhibit both. Mm-hmm. And so what what they what the kind of the theory is saying is that um, the it, it's going call back to this arms race stuff. It's an arms mm-hmm. race with their prey. Wow. So the prey can become very resistant to the hemotoxin, these like blood focused mm-hmm. toxins, and then. Over time, they'll, you know, maybe mate with the population from the neurotoxin side, and now they're neurotoxic, and these mice are screwed. They have been on this evolutionary path for hemotoxin, and now it's neurotoxin. (laughs) Got them. They're like, we were doing so well. What happened? Mice can mate with (laughs) another person that is, like, immune to the hemotoxins. I wonder if they're doing that. They probably are. I wonder if they're doing that. Ooh, why can't so like they a look that up? <laughs> Ooh, I gotta look that up because that's probably happening. I would be surprised if it wasn't. Yeah, um, that'd be cool. They're oh, all running so cool. on treadmills together. I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> Going nowhere. This is like an omnidirectional treadmill, and everyone's confused. <laughs> oh like. my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> well, it seems like you have come in contact with a lot of snakes, like in the wild. I am deathly afraid of snakes. So for just like the the average person, if you were to come across, because I know there are a lot of, that's the one thing I've known in San Diego, there are a lot of snakes. So if you come across a snake, what do you recommend to do? I'll just leave it alone. Just leave it alone? Like it's not going to do anything. They're not going to Yeah, do. I mean, it's, it's no, it's insane how many times I've seen, uh, like most people, what, most people don't even notice the snakes. Yeah, um, that's true. There's been so many times where I'm like on all fours <laughs> photographing a rattlesnake and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, what, what does it look like? There's a big, like, you know, they're like, oh, that, it's just because most snakes, they're always going to sit still and try to hide first. Yeah. Um, sometimes they're not hiding as well as they think. Mm-hmm. If, if they can't hide, they're always going to run. I, yeah, I've right. never, well, I've had only one time where a snake actually came at me. Really? And that was a wild, uh, yeah, but that was like, that was a, uh, okay, that, that was a Fertilance in a, in Belize. Ooh. And they are a little territorial. Okay. So that's where the leave them alone situation mm-hmm. is definitely a big thing. Yeah. Because um, yeah. most of the time they're not going to do anything. This one only really came after us because I'd already chased it away. It was um. setting up a territory. And yeah. then we were batting for nets or netting for bats. Uh, and I, we had a bat and he might have been, yeah, it was, yeah. it was a whole thing. Over, um, yeah. But yeah, if you leave it alone, it's not going to do much. If, if you have to move it, cause it's like, uh, like a narrow trail mm-hmm, or uh, mm-hmm. you, yeah. whatever. Right. Um, usually just a big stick and you just poke it and it'll just go away. Okay. Um, yeah. That's, Fair it, it, it's, yeah, almost uh, a lot of the times bites happen because someone is trying to uh, harm the snake and get rid right. of it. Exactly. Or pick um, it up. Yeah, yeah, definitely picking up is a big thing. Where it's like, you know, it's like I, I I've picked up snakes. I pick up snakes, but uh, yeah, that's I, I know if they're venomous or not. You right, know, it's like right. you know, yeah. I, I know the species. I know it's harmless, and but also like if it's if it's not in a good situation, I'm just not going to pick it up. It's no, like, totally, yeah. totally. There has been a couple times where I've gone hiking with like my dad, and I'll just be walking along, all hunky dory, and then I'll hear my dad's footsteps kind of quiet in the back, and I'll be like, "Megan, you didn't see that?" And I'll be like, "What?" And I turn around, and I literally had you know multiple times this happened. I've like walked over a snake that's what? just been bathing in the middle of the trail, and no. I just don't see it because they're 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 dusty cut. Well, yeah. uh, I guess. It's probably in more deserty mm-hmm. areas, but it's like you know they're more of like they blend with their environment. But I've done that before, and then I, ever since those couple of times, whenever I go hiking, I'm like, okay, I can like spot the snake because I always miss it. Yeah. I always miss the snake, so definitely and I want to see it. I'm not afraid of snakes like Marini is. <laughs> <laughs> I wow. just don't. don't I just don't pay in. attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. 
I don't know if you've been out to this particular trail. I'm sure you have. Canyon Side. Have you been over to Canyon Side Park or Reserve? No, I have not, actually. Is that what it's called, Megan? Is that up in um, near PQ? Yeah. Ranch Panacitos? We like had that's where we had fried chicken sandwiches together. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Okay, so <laughs> so Dylan. Dylan. Ooh, Dylan. Okay. Um, there's there's a um recreation center, you know, in the the area of Rancho Penasquitos, but part of that recreation center, there's Canyon Trail mm-hmm. that eventually, you know, goes away from the rec center. Um, and there's also like this historical farm yeah. or ranch, a historical ranch that you can explore. It's actually quite gorgeous. Um, I encourage you to go there because the ranch itself is really pretty Spanish style architecture mm-hmm. and they have goats on the land. It's very cute. <laughs> I think it is called Canyon Side. Yeah, I think yeah it's, it's Canyon Side yeah. Rec Center. Mm-hmm. If you ever want to check it out, Dylan, it's up in Rancho Penasquitos yeah. Yeah. off Black Mountain Road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I, I'm over there a decent amount for hiking, so... Yeah. Right. Okay, okay. yeah, I need, it, I need to find this one, yeah. I wouldn't say this is a hike. It's it's just, like, a nice leisurely trail, but yeah. it's it's really pretty and pleasant, cool. and, like, if the weather's good, you can, like, lie in the field <laughs> that's there, and it's, and it's just nice. really nice. And it leads yeah. to, like, basically, I think it's, like, two, three miles into the hike. You have, a like, a... Not a... I was going to say, like, an oasis. That's being generous. But mm-hmm. it's just... There's a body of water <laughs> that has, like, some waterfalls and things like that. But anyways, the whole point of that was I was wondering if he had gone there and had seen any wildlife there, but... Now that I know mm. you haven't, he can get back <laughs> yeah, to us. Yeah, he can on get that. back to us. You well, know? <laughs> I guess a better question yeah. is where have you found, or what trail in San Diego have you found the most wildlife, or where where do you recommend that Ooh. we go? Yeah, so like I I have a uh, I definitely have a northern side of the county bias just because mm. that's mm. where I I'm closer to there, so it's yeah. easy for me to sure. I Ticalote is where I almost always end up going um, mm. because it's very close, and I like. There's also like an entrance really close to uh, Bird Rock Coffee, so I like yeah. to get mm. coffee from there, then go hiking place. there. Yeah. But I have found the most at it's either going to be Hollenbeck Canyon, which is kind of out southeast, mm, I think I southeast. Mm, okay. It's a really nice little refuge. It's kind of out of town, which is nice. Little bit of a brutal hike because there's no shade cover. It's mm. just open. Mm. Yeah. But um, I found a decent amount there okay. if you're really yeah. willing to like really look for it. Sure. Um, it's a really cool wildlife refuge. But I also find a lot of stuff at Marion Bear um, because I can go there at night. Um, A lot of parks in San Diego you can go in at night. They 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 close the, uh, the a lot of times they close parking lots but the parks themselves mm-hmm. are open mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which also yeah is a lot of city parks like yeah. look up the regulations for your city parks and go there at night if you can because there is so much cool stuff oh, that's yeah. how I find like salamanders and like so and all my frogs is like usually nighttime that's so true it's okay super super cool to go at night thank you night for hike. the hot tip yeah. Real quick, you said salamander. I just realized something. Okay, this is something that blew my mind because actually, I'm just a dingus and I didn't realize salamanders were in San Diego either. Okay, so I have a patio right off of my bedroom. On my patio is a little water spout, like an outdoor water spout. You attach a hose, blah, blah. But it's but it's a leaky spout that's just been dripping and I should fix that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but it, it's, there's some, there's some, sometimes water will pool but there was a time where I had kind of just pots out there where I do my planting and um, potting and all that and one day I decided to clean and when I moved the pots I saw these little black squiggly things just like (laughs) a a bunch of them and I was like what is this they were so minuscule so minuscule and I looked closer and closer I was like are those legs are those legs on these little squiggly worms because I thought, like, to be honest, they were so sleek and black and shiny. I was like, are there 
these are leeches like yeah, I, I couldn't tell they like were. they and then i was like these are salamanders mm. maybe based on what i'm describing you oh, might think differently I think, but I, I thought they were tadpoles oh they sound like they, little frog tadpoles they were no they were like think full like their bodies were entirely long <sighs> oh, uh, smaller they were than my long, pe- boys. yeah they were long okay. like think think like yeah. a very almost like an like, like a, a worm. Like they were like very small, slimy really? worms Wait. with well, four nubs what? Okay. poking out of them. And I, I'm, I feel confidently I, that they were. Did you it, it wasn't. It wasn't a tadpole for sure. I did it because right. I was just uh, like, what? Let's see. <laughs> uh, oh, you know what? They yeah, they probably were then. Um, because yeah. so the the salamander species that we get in San Diego mostly uh-huh. are Batrachoceps. The okay. garden slender salamanders, and Ooh. they do have an aquatic stage, I think. So that could have been them. That, that's yeah. pretty likely because they're actually that that species of salamander is stupidly common. Wow. Okay, okay. Yeah. Which so I think I was just it blew my mind nice. because I had never seen the adult version of that on my patio before, mm-hmm. and so oh, yeah. suddenly to see like a whole. Tribe. Clearly, one had given birth or something yeah. recently because yeah. they were fresh. They like the moment I moved the thing, they were like little little just wiggly things Aww. and like the small amount of water that had pulled up wow. um, right yeah, yeah they're um, if you ever have like little like logs or pieces of wood on the ground mm. or stones yeah. or anything that's like a little bit in the ground flip them up and just kind of look through the dirt there mm. you okay. might see little salamanders that's cool. um, especially like after rains yeah. like right now you can oh, probably yeah. go out and start finding them <laughs> oh, with shit. the rains we've I got, had. i'm gonna look um, on my patio right after <laughs> I know. Yeah, i'm gonna yeah, go yeah. my backyard and dig <laughs> Oh yeah, like in, in like little like pots or like anything. Yeah, I, might, yeah. I might actually go do the same now that I'm thinking about it, um, because uh, yeah, because uh, there you know, that's what you'll find little patrachocept salamanders. Mm, and um, so I mean, cool. I, I've had I've had like nights where I've gone where it's like that kind of it's not raining but there's like mist in yeah. the air mm-hmm. type of stuff, and we found like over a dozen of them just walking along the trails. So awesome. yeah, 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 they're they're super cute. I have like lots of pictures on my page of them because I just have to go, every time yeah. I have to photograph them. They're they're adorable. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Uh, I don't have anything else. Do we have anything else to chat about? No, I I think I'm good on my end. Dylan, do you have any other lasting? Well, comments or topics you wanted to share i mean i mean you know i can like that's the that's the problem i can go down any like little rabbit hole because ah this stuff is so cool but no no i don't Uh, (laughs) he's like i'm trying to cut myself off right here that's totally fair it's been such an amazing conversation education all of the things uh we're gonna close out with an antidote so just a fun thing or something that made you happy could be big small doesn't matter uh dylan first or do you want us to go first you kind of see how it goes it doesn't matter oh y'all should go first okay okay all right since i said that i guess i have to go first (laughs) okay um um, okay so my antidote this week is mm, i think i think i already said this before but all my family it's kind of like a a bad thing but they my brother and my sister-in-law and their baby and their dog they all are supposed to come down like two weeks ago for thanksgiving and those just supposed to be for like one week Mm -hmm. and then they're supposed to go back up Mm -hmm. unfortunately they got into a car accident on the way down so it it's extended their stay for like a month which sucks for them but i loved having them for longer (laughs) it was just such a great time and we i don't think my brother and i because we're 10 years apart so i don't think my brother and i had spent Mm -hmm. like a birthday together in like six or seven years so 
because of everything that happened, we were able to celebrate our birthdays together because we're just like 10 days apart in December. So super fun. Mm. Um, that's my antidote. Oh, that's nice. And um, I totally enjoyed hanging out with them when they yeah. did get stuck down here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> was, I'm, I'm sorry for them. But, yeah. you know, like Harini <laughs> said, good for us. Yes, good for us. Um, my, uh, my antidote is that um, I am moving to my very first own apartment uh, my whole life since college I have lived with housemates mm-hmm. and I've adored every single one I absolutely love living with housemates and roommates Harini was one of yeah. them for many years um, but uh, I you know as I mentioned in uh, previous episodes I recently started a new job and I was just like I think the next step for me is to finally live alone mm-hmm. because I think it's time yeah. I, I feel like I'm starting my adult life <laughs> yeah so now I'm going to live alone um I've already started the moving process as in like I have my apartment now so cool. and it's just a matter of moving boxes so um moving fucking sucks I will say <laughs> like it sucks in the way that it's like your life doesn't stop and you still have to do it right. but I think the positive side of that is that I just feel like uh I've achieved something mm-hmm. in some way and that feels good so I can't wait to be fully moved in and settled and invites all of you lovely people on the call. Sorry, Poison Pals. You're not about all you lovely people. Um, unless, unless you're in the area to like a home welcoming dinner or something. Amazing. So that I'm so be, excited. Yeah. Congrats, Megan. That's, Can't a, wait. that's a big yeah. deal. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. Like, huh. So, yeah, I was debating on how I wanted to go about this antidote because I was like, do I have an antidote? And like, I know I do. Sometime in my life, something positive has happened. Um, and I was, I was, I was, no, but I, and I was thinking about it and it's like, you know, it, it's getting to be the end of the year mm-hmm. and it's just like, it's been a wild few years, yes, um, yes. you know, but both like like globally and sociopolitically and everything, but also just like, like personally, it's just mm-hmm. been chaos and lots of change and everything yeah, yeah. i mean it's like like i started grad school and then my second semester of pandemic hit right, and i've just yeah. been I, I mean it's just been wild mm-hmm. and honestly at the start of this year i was just in like a really crap spot mm-hmm. like it was just not a good like yeah. i was like eh, pandemic i started with a breakup uh, school mm-hmm. was wild and so i i don't know somewhere along the way i was like you know i'm actually gonna get way more serious about science communication stuff Mm -hmm. and just start diving into that. I'm going to just like really focus on myself, dive into that. And like the last, well, okay. The first like six, seven, eight months of that was not getting better. It was just getting worse. It was just like one (laughs) thing after another. And it was just like drama, 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 or like, oh, wildness. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, this year sucks. Um, Whatever. I already gave up. But then like in June or July, it just started to turn around and, like, right. life started to get a little better. Yeah. And, like, I had a conference that was just so much fun. And then, oh, like, excellent. science communication stuff started kicking off. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. I don't know. It's just been, like, the last month. And so it's just been, like, good. That's um, awesome. Good. Things are just, like, working. Yeah. And it's, like, I also, like, therapy has been helping. It's yes. super awesome. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. And yes. it's, like, get back into that. Lovely. Um, and it's just, like... <laughs> Yeah, and it's like my therapist is like, you have a lot of personal growth, especially with setting boundaries and wow. giving yourself space. And I'm like, thank you. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's Love just been that. like general life positive trends. That's you know, awesome. like that's Amazing. that's the antidote. It's it's always there. There's dips and there's dives, yeah. but then it's it's all about the overall trajectory over Absolutely. time. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Oh my goodness, I. Nothing against our previous guests, but I, know, I, was just I fucking say, love that antidote. That might have been one of the most inspir- <laughs> inspirational, I think that's the top best antidote antidotes we've had, had, for sure. 
Yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah. You what a way. I think this is our, this is our, like, uh, this is our uh, final episode of the year, yes, too. Is. Is, is, am I correct on that? So oh, way, to, nice. way to end it so oh, positively. I love yeah. that. And nice. it really segue. tied it in to the end of the year, too. I mean, yeah. that's great. I feel for you. It's been a tough couple years, mm-hmm. I think, collectively. and mm-hmm. But also, like, doing things mm-hmm. for yourself. Like, I think, I think that's the one thing I definitely mm-hmm. learned from this pandemic is I think I tend to put others before myself at times. And I'm like, it's okay to put myself first. It's okay. Like, people are not going to hate you if you decide to put yourself first once in mm-hmm. a while, you know? Personal lessons I've been learning and really, really grateful to take that with me into the new year. Thanks for yeah. sharing that, Dylan. You appreciate um, it. Yeah, so glad things are on the up for you yeah. and the year is going to end nicely. That's fantastic. On a high. Um, on that so... ten and high. <laughs> <laughs> so Dylan, I think we, we prefaced this earlier. Is the last thing we do is we kind of have our guests do the catchphrase, don't risk it for the <laughs> insert biscuit. Um, so we we can do that, but I just wanted to um, these are the real weird quick, things that we make repeat. our guests do. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> I I just wanted to say back to Poison Pals. Uh, this has been a pleasure. This we're we've been talking with Dylan Jones today. Mm-hmm. Please go follow him Please. on Instagram. It's at Dylan the Biologist. He has a link in his bio that goes to his website. Look into Learn Adventurously. Please go look into Learn Adventurously and um, follow his content. Mm-hmm. Um, it's totally worth it. He's he's a blast. We'll put in so. our show notes as well. All right, Dylan. Yes, we'll put in your show notes. All right, Dylan, take it away. <laughs> Send us home. All right. Uh, don't risk it for the Aposomatic Biscuit. Yes. Hey. Awesome. All right. Mike all right. Out of here. End of the year. <laughs> Goodbye, 2021. <laughs> Amazing. All Thank right. you, Dylan, so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Peace. We'll see you next time, Poison Pals. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.